It's Alum Group's Andrea Lay, Packview's Melissa Burdick, special guest Jackie Donowski from Flywheel, and I'm PVSB, also from Flywheel. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 13th, and it's time for the Fresh Four. Four curated news stories from the past week. We find them polyhistorically intriguing. We hope you do too. They're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence and news. Retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Jackie, kick us off, would you? Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect to bring closed-loop attribution to streaming advertisers. Well, hello there, Fresh Boy listeners. Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect have solidified an agreement to bring the retailer's industry-leading audience solutions and measurement to Disney's addressable streaming inventory. The collaboration will enable enhanced audience targeting and outcome-based measurements for brand campaigns across Disney's streaming portfolio, including Hulu and Disney+. Connecting Walmart's customer insights with Disney's proprietary audience graph will help advertisers reach their desired audiences and measure the impact of their campaigns through closed-loop attribution. Thanks, Jackie. Andrea, over to you. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. NBC Universal and Instacart link up to bring retail media opportunities to TV. NBC Universal and Instacart are expanding their existing partnership to include a new retail media workstream that will enable Instacart's CPG advertisers to connect with consumers via NBC Universal's streaming and linear television content. In late 2023, the companies teamed up to include access to NBC Universal's streaming platform Peacock as part of the Instacart Plus membership package. Now, with this new first-party data collaboration, advertisers will be able to reach consumers through NBC Universal's content and measure the impact of their campaigns by leveraging ad exposure and purchase data from Instacart. Thank you, Andrea. Melissa, what do you have for us? Amazon has announced a new country that they're opening up. Amazon has announced that it will launch a new dedicated website for Ireland in 2025. Currently, most Irish customers use Amazon sites based in the UK or other European countries. The company said the Irish site will mean that users will be able to avoid additional customs charges and currency conversion fees, and it will also lead to faster delivery and returns for many items. All right, over to you, Peter. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast. I'm Sri, one of the aforementioned CPG Guys. And your forever Yankee fan now relocated to Southern California, the land of sunshine, water, and oxygen, and surf. My co-host, of course, is PVSP, also the VP of Partner Strategy and Dev at Fetch Rewards, a mobile loyalty platform who knows that the World Series champion LA Dodgers, champions that exist on planet Earth. Please join me in welcoming the other CPG guy, who I often say is the man with the velvet voice, Mr. Bond. Peter, how you doing, man? You got to remember that when you write this script, I'm the one editing it. So anything you say, I can ultimately edit out. So enjoy, enjoy your little moment of, of humor. Cause I can, I can do, but I'm doing really well and I'm excited today, Shri, because we have another visit from the preeminent, uh, retailer marketplace. Don't give it industry. away. Don't give it I'm, away. I'm not giving everything away. I'm just giving a. I'm just ex- listen. I'm excited. I love these conversations. This is, you know, I'll. I'll. I'm not a. You know, I think we can both say that uh, the last time we had a visit from this company, uh, it did a tremendous amount of uh, growth for our podcast. It was great for us. We know it was great for them as well. And I'm just excited to make it even better today. So I'm excited. It's a great great day. Let's get right to it, Shri. And you and I know our audience has been looking forward to this one. So this yes. should be awesome. And for the record, yeah. Peter can edit any script he wants. But Shri has been ad-libbing all his life. And the Dodgers are a softball team. So um, World said, Series champion. Yeah. Last year, 28, we talk. Thank you, Peter. Jokes apart, thank you. 
But before we get to our guests, let me remind our audience that all our content, including y'all asked for, can we decompose how this e-commerce profitability works? We gave you a Proforma PNL. All that content can be found on cpgguys.com, including our Women's Leadership Series, which was last fall, where Peter and I were able to contribute $8,000 to the Susan G. Komen Fund. If you aren't already following us on LinkedIn, you can be part of this family. All you have to do is go to the search bar up top, type CPG Guys in the blue plus button that shows up. Simply click hit and follow. And that way you can be part of this growing family and join the discussion and shape who comes to the podcast as well as be part of the transformation of the CPG industry, which is now some days I feel really moving digital incredibly fast and we have to keep pace. Peter and Anna honored that our podcast attracts so many industry luminaries from notable companies. And today we're especially pleased to have such a guest. He's the CRO, one of the fastest growing consumers, delivery marketplaces in America, where he partners with many of the world's largest CPG and retail companies to deliver their overall business and marketing strategies. And after seven and a half years at Amazon leading advertising, I have to claim he's an expert in all aspects of pure play brand equity development. He's here to speak to us about how brands and retailers can leverage who other than Instacart's platform to engage consumers in a rapidly transforming digital market landscape. Join Peter and me in welcoming to the podcast, Seth Dallaire. Seth, greetings. How are you today? Pleasure to meet you. Uh, it's great to be here, Shree and Peter. Thank you very much. Looking forward to the conversation. Before we actually get to the questions and our conversation, Seth, would you tell us for the purpose of a multitasking audience who loves to hop on and jump right into who our guest is. Um, anything you can share about where to find Instacart's marketing and advertising solutions, and then a brief overview specifically of what your team does at Instacart? Sure. So uh, ads.instacart.com is where you can find information about our ad products and how you can work with Instacart. So just get that out of the way first. That's the headline. And um, Instacart, for, for those of you that don't know, is a online grocery delivery service. And we are a four-sided marketplace. So we serve uh, four different customer groups, you know, one being retailers, as you noted, Tree, uh, another being consumers who are shopping for groceries, a third being our shopper community uh, who works to, to pick those baskets for consumers, and then fourth, uh, near and dear to, to our hearts, are CPG uh, manufacturers and, and brands. And my role as the CRO is, is really right now focused on, on working with brands and making sure that uh, CPGs get an opportunity to find their way into the baskets of consumers who are shopping for groceries for, for the first time online uh, in many cases, or just starting, starting that behavior. Um, at Instacart, our, our mission is to uh, create a world where everyone has access to the food they love and more time to enjoy it together. So we, we have a real focus on consumers and, and we're watching, uh, as, as everyone on here who listens to your podcast probably is as well, to all the consumer behaviors that are changing as a result of some of the the health issues that we've all been experiencing over the past really 18 months. And uh, it's been an exciting time to be here to start uh, an advertising business and work on building a set of products really from the ground up uh, and, and bring them forward to an industry that has really been uh, learning and, and becoming more uh, proficient at, at working with retail media and, and with e-com uh, media specifically. So, uh, in very broad strokes, like my team works uh, with a couple different product areas. Uh, the first one being what we call featured products, which are uh, pr uh, paid listings for UPCs that are available to be shopped within our retail uh, storefronts in our marketplace. Uh, that's our most sort of popular product, if you will, and it sits really far down uh, in the funnel. Um, and, and is, is a, a really performant, a highly performant product in terms of ROAS. And then you move up the funnel into sort of mid, mid and upper funnel uh, products or, or objectives, uh, products that meet those marketing objectives. And those are display products primarily. So we have contextually relevant 
uh, graphical display products that sit uh, within different aisles or areas of the store that can be shopped via browse. Uh, and then we have uh, savings products like uh, coupons, for instance, that allow brands to offer some type of pricing reduction or incentive for a consumer to uh, to add a product to her basket and buy it. So very broad strokes. Those are the products. That's the mission. And 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 that's what I'm I'm doing here in, in the, the four sides of our marketplace that we're serving. Thank you for that, Seth. Peter, and I'm honored that you made time to join us on the CPG guys in this episode of the podcast today. And for the sake of our audience, it's ads.instacart.com. And we'll, of course, include hyperlinks to the site address that you mentioned, Seth, and any other data in the episode digital liner notes y'all can go back to and get. So let's hop into the first one, Seth, which you've already started decomposing a little bit with the broad strokes here, which is our audience would love to know more details about the core set of advertising tools you offer to brands and retailers, specifically based on marketing objectives, which, which could range from launching innovation, driving brand equity, trial, repeat, things of that nature. Uh, getting into the list and sticking, being sticky in the list, and uh, what kind of more precision marketing targeting capabilities are they able to leverage? So let's start with featured product since that's the sort of the most popular product with the CPG uh, brands and advertisers with whom we work today. So every day we get a product data feed from the retailers uh, that we work with that is then. Uh, searchable uh, and by a consumer. So when a consumer first comes to Instacart, uh, if they have never shopped with Instacart before, they have to build a basket. And the primary way that a consumer builds that basket is by entering in a series of search terms or queries within our search bar. And in that function, um, the, the terms are largely commodity-based. So for instance, a consumer may be coming in and searching for bottled water or searching for uh, broccoli. Um, and those terms are not necessarily branded. So we allow brands the opportunity to, in an auction format to pay uh, or bid on a cost per click basis uh, for the opportunity to be that first, second, or, or some type of promoted placement uh, as, as a result that's served back to that consumer query. And uh, that uh, is a product that that looks similar to what other retail platforms uh, may be offering and some of your listeners are probably pretty familiar with, uh, but it really works. And the fact that we're focused on grocery uh, and so specifically on, on food and grocery right now, uh, it's, it's an area where many of the brands who uh, have not been able to put their products into a cardboard box, for instance, and ship them and have them arrive at the consumer's doorstep in two days, uh, they're very eager to work with us because we're able to get those products in the trunk of the car or on the consumer's doorstep in an hour or less. And uh, so we do a lot of education about, hey, this is where the consumer is coming in to build their basket for the first time. And this is why you need to be promoting your brands here and bidding appropriately so that you're featured in good digital shelf placement, if you will. Now, in addition to that, uh, that search behavior that, or, or I'm sorry, the search result that shows up with the consumer's first building a basket, in your second order, your third order, your hundredth order from Instacart, you take advantage of convenience features like buy our buy it again lists. So these are the sort of lists, the shopping lists of things that you've purchased in the past. Oftentimes those lists can be, uh, hundreds of products long and uh, you may want, as a brand, the opportunity to put your product at the top of that list and remind the consumer that, hey, you need more this brand of bottled water, or you need more crackers, for instance, or more cookies or ice cream. And you have the opportunity to bid with this featured product as well to show up higher on those buy it again lists too. So the, the featured product serves a couple different surfaces within the shopping experience, both for new consumers as well as for existing consumers. So that's featured product uh, in, in a little more detail. From a, a, a temporary price reduction type of product, like a coupon, we serve those products up or those sort of ad products, if you will, and coupon offers up through 
uh, tabs within the store where we that are dedicated specifically to savings. But then uh, we'll also uh, create graphical display placements across the site that promote those coupon offers or uh, offers uh, that we call delivery promotions that allow brands to give consumers a certain cost savings uh, or free delivery as an incentive for buying uh, or, or meeting a certain value or purchase hurdle. And um, those are pretty uh, popular products as well because um, they, they obviously coupons are a, a well understood uh, way to uh, drive or incent trial. And with delivery promotions, brands love them for basket building because if you're able to offer some incentive to buy more products within a brand's portfolio, well, those things just become stickier as consumers then come back for another, uh, another basket or tripication and those products are then populated and buy it again list. Um, so those are the, the temporary product reduction, uh, or I'm sorry, t- uh, temporary price reduction products that we offer. And then we have uh, graphical display units that sit within our browse categories. Um, and, uh, and then we're experimenting with storefront banners as well. So when consumers come into uh, the storefront for Safeway, for instance, they may see a, uh, a graphical display banner featuring brands from uh, Colgate, for instance, or from Pepsi uh, or from Kraft. And brands really want to be in that uh, entry uh, point of entry for the consumer. So they're top of mind when, when the consumer is shopping, they can remind the consumer that, hey, you need more uh, snacks or you need more cookies or you need more soup or those types of things. And those are, those are new products this year uh, that we've developed um, as a, uh, to answer the demand from brands to have something besides just featured product that meets those mid and upper funnel objectives that they may have. Seth, you and I, of course, are in and out of this world every day where we discuss first and second price auctions. But for the benefit of our cross-functional audience, could you just take 30 seconds, like real quick, which one of those formats does Instacart follow and what does it really mean for a brand? Uh, That's a great question. Um, So Instacart's auction for featured products, like I mentioned, it's it's a cost-per-click auction. So um, it's, it's also a second price auction. So a brand will enter in a price uh, that they would be willing to pay to earn a click from a consumer. And that price is then calculated, uh, or the price that's charged to the advertiser is calculated as a result of what the second price in that auction might be. So it's just, it's one penny higher than what the, the second highest price in the auction might be. And we, we changed uh, the, the pricing dynamic for our auction from a first price auction to a second price auction last year. And we, uh, the reason why that we did that from a business perspective was that we wanted brands to have the confidence that, um, that, that they understood that even if they entered a, a value for that click that was much higher uh, or sort of met the threshold, uh, the upper boundary of where they were willing to pay, uh, that they would have the confidence that we would only charge them a penny more than what the second price of that auction would be. And we thought that that would give the brands more confidence to invest with us. And, and that's in fact been the case. Um, you know, in a first price auction, uh, and this is a bit of my own editorial, you may have less confidence as a brand manager, uh, in understanding the price spread between, well, hey, this is the boundary or the upper boundary of what I'm willing to pay. But would I actually get that? click for cheaper if the second price were, you know, much less or, or, you know, is there something about the way that I'm pricing this that's different, that's somehow disadvantaging me? I won't know that gap between the first and second price in, in that first price auction. And I think that that frankly creates more tentative behavior, uh, on, in terms of the brand investment. And we were really looking to create as a, a, a really active, um, and uh, auction dynamic and one where we can include as many advertisers as possible. So that, that confidence factor uh, that the second price auction allows for was really critical for us. Seth, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have you on today. And thank you for that detailed explanation. Our podcast is really dedicated to educating about the industry that we're in. 
and our audience tells us that detailed explanations is, are what they want to hear. So we try to break down acronyms. We try to demystify what's going on, and that gets everybody, brings them along on the journey. So thank you. My question, my first question to you is really about what led you to Instacart. You spent over seven years at Amazon building out their advertising business into what, what we see today, which is a definitely very powerful um, capability and something that brands are very interested in. And, and I'd love to hear from your perspective, what drew you to Instacart? What was it about this opportunity to kind of take something uh, and build it from scratch that, that was, was so appealing? That's a great question. Uh, so first off, I love the experience that I had at Amazon, learned a ton. And uh, in many ways, it was character building because in uh, early 2012, when I rejoined Amazon uh, and, and joined the advertising team, um, I spent a lot of time, uh, as did the team, explaining to the industry, and whether they're agencies and brands, about why Amazon even had an advertising business to begin with. Like, what's the point? Um, where are the ads on Amazon? Seth, we don't need another place to place ads. We have other places where we do that. Just give us your customer file. That's what we want. And the ambition was actually much greater than that, was that we knew that if we were able to observe a whole host of events that were occurring in a first-party manner, uh, meaning that we could see when a uh, customer came into the store, uh, whether they were exposed to an ad, did they click on the ad? If they clicked on the ad, did they add something to their basket? If they added something to their basket, did they buy it? If they bought it, what financial instrument did they use to buy it? How frequently did they buy it? Was there something that we could do from those observations that would give advertisers or brands more confidence that this is a, uh, a more... Uh, a, an advertising investment that had real attribution to it, like defensible attribution and, and what I would call like real transactional truth, then there was a business there to be built that would be differentiated. And that was really the principle and what got me most excited about joining in 2012. But it was lonely when you're sitting in, in you know, the, the, uh, the lobby of an agency, for instance, and you're used to, you know, talking about other bigger ideas uh, and, and repping other bigger media platforms and really starting from scratch. But as humbling as it was, um, it was fun. And we actually got it, had the opportunity to change the way that marketers think about uh, advertising online. And just the same way that we saw uh, social media take off or paid search become a discipline within the agency and within the walls of, of a CPG or, or any manufacturer for that reason, uh, we, we knew we had the same opportunity with e-com. And that's really what happened. So by the time that I left, um, the industry had really bought into the idea that, okay, e-com media or retail media is a standalone discipline and a discipline that we need to have within the walls of our enterprise, whether it's an agency or a CPG. And so I'm, I get really excited and geek out about that because that's something that just it wasn't around in, in 2011 or 2010. And today it seems like um, it would just be silly to think that it wasn't here, that we weren't thinking about it all the time. And so the one area at Amazon where I observed that the company struggled, candidly, uh, was in grocery and grocery delivery. And the, the way that you, a consumer shops for ice cream or a frozen pizza is very different than the way that a consumer shops for a iPhone accessory or a book. And the way that uh, a company delivers a product that has, you know, uh, like a, that isn't shelf stable, for instance, and the expectations that a consumer has about how that product arrives are, are very different. And the uh, when I started talking with Instacart, and I'll be very frank, my my uh, my family sort of relationships played a big part in the decision 
about whether to join or not. And really, uh, my 17-year-old son, so I mentioned, uh, I think, to Shri before, but I have a 17-year-old who conducts most of his life on his phone. He has an expectation that he can see any type of song, any type of video, he can get any type of article for homework on his phone in 30 seconds or less. And if he can't, he's supremely frustrated. He also, on that same phone, can get a, a teriyaki bowl. He can get a burrito. He can get a hamburger or a cup of coffee delivered to the house in 30 minutes or less. He can get a scooter, a bicycle, a ride, anywhere he wants to go in five minutes or less. The slowpoke in his com commercial relationship right now, ironically, is... Amazon in that it delivers products in two days as opposed to 30 minutes or less or an hour or less. And in his experience, as he becomes a consumer and, and his friends or people who are his age, age into a consumer cohort that's actually buying groceries or shopping for groceries on a regular basis, my expectation is that he will elect to perform some of those trip occasions, maybe not all of them, but some of them on his phone um, or, or in that environment where he's most comfortable having them delivered to him. He will expect that that option is available to him. His expectations of convenience will only increase over time, not decrease. That got me most excited about figuring out this grocery space because grocery, as you know, is it's a $1.3 trillion business annually in the U.S. alone. And very small percentage of that business is tipped into the sort of digital space or, or it, with a frequency that would say, oh, my gosh, like we, we have to be in that space. And so the, when I'm pattern matching what was happening at Instacart or the point in time where Instacart was, you know, in 2019 when I joined versus where the pattern matching that I had when I joined Amazon in 2012, as it relates to just general merchandise and e-commerce, to me, they look pretty similar. So I have a lot of conviction that consumers are going to embrace shopping for groceries online. It's going to happen. Now, whether it happens at, uh, you know, over the course of three years, and that was sort of math that I personally did, I thought everything that would happen, my expectation is that these levels of, of uh, business and the percentage of sales that happen uh, digitally would be a certain level in three years. And the reality is that that happened in three weeks over the course of last year. Uh, for, and for many of the people listening to your podcast and for you guys as well, you know, you saw similar impact across your businesses. There was massive trial uh, of uh, e-commerce e if you hadn't done it before. And then specifically in areas where maybe you had been reluctant to try it, like grocery shopping, you were forced to, uh, to use it. Um, and what we found was that there was a lot of consumer trial there, and uh, much of it was durable through uh, 2020 as we sort of exited peak COVID. And um, that, to me, just gave me more conviction that grocery shopping as a sort of one component of e-commerce that had been underdeveloped uh, and consumers really hadn't adopted it yet at scale, that that was going to change. Um, and, and it's changing uh, right in front of our eyes right now. How's that for an answer about why I'm at Instacart? <laughs> I just believe very, very strongly that, uh, that consumers are, are in particularly as younger consumers start to uh, age in, into shopping for groceries that their expectations are that this is just going to be something I can do. And if I want to do it 50% of the time, I will. Yeah, I have a 16-year-old, and, and almost exclusively her choice of life is digital, 100, almost 100% of the time. You know, whether it's a choice of a food, a beverage, shopping. The one that amazes me the most is that the transportation is now almost a way of life in terms of just a couple clicks, and it's there in front of you. And she was actually excited to learn driving from me for the first time because it was not a concept living in New York City she really cared about. And um, the one that really was a puzzle for me is now even clothing shopping, apparel is moving online. That's one that I thought would take very long to really get the level of depth and penetration. But here we are 
You know, I remember talking to Josh Ryder from Instacart. It's been probably close to a year now, mm-hmm. uh, certainly six months or more ago. And it was closer to the start of the pandemic or we, we were midway through early in the pandemic. And you just referred to how in the last 12, 18 months, a lot of people have been forced to learn how to shop online. And there are days Peter and I discuss on this show the future of retail being very digitally led. We'd love to hear your sentiment on the future of retail. Well, uh, not surprisingly, I share your enthusiasm for the, sort of the digital influence or the increasing amount of digital influence on, on retail. Um, and, you know, more specifically, like I, uh, I don't have, I don't have any specific targets, uh, that I would say where I'm like, hey, it's going to be X by a certain amount of, of time or at a certain year. Um, and certainly the observations that I referenced earlier about my son are, uh, or, or maybe unique to, to my family or, or, you know, living in San Francisco, um, you know, uh, which is pretty tech forward city. But um, I just like the I think when you when you think about the consumer expectation for uh, convenience, um, the and this is really regardless of, of age group, I would say, um, is that there's an expectation that you'll be able to have the opportunity to shop digitally or to find something digitally. Um, that, that has some commercial, um, you know, relationship with you. Um, and from a retail perspective, if you want information about a specific product, like the ingredient profile, or you want to understand, um, you know, the price or check a price for a particular product, you know, oftentimes those are, uh, the, the first reference point or the instinct is to go digital first to get that information because you can get it quickly. You're going to go to certain places that you trust to get that information. And even if you don't uh, make that transaction digitally, you elect to do it in person, you feel more informed and educated by what you found digitally. So that first uh, instinct or that first touch that you might have to get that piece of information is digital. And to me, because it's the first thing or the instinctually the first thing that many consumers do, that as the experience gets better for shopping, as there's more information about the products, as the imagery of the products improves, as, as more sight, sound, and motion is included, more lifestyle things um, are included that make those uh, that information more relevant to you or more engaging, then you can very naturally be led down a path where it's like, okay, great. Why don't I just buy this now? And the, the time series of buying it and then having to wait is I think critical to the, the future of retail. So the, you know, the compression of that delivery or, you know, we, we talked about last mile or that's, you know, pretty frequently referred to as, as a, um, you know, the promise or the logistical challenge for many retailers is solving last mile. You know, the mile component is, is a measure of distance. And while I think that's important, I think the measure of time is more important. And so, you know, there's this sort of, is it a one day delivery, a two day delivery, a one hour delivery or 30 minute or less delivery? Uh, that to me is where the future for for retail and particularly digital retail is headed. And the more options you have for the consumer, the more business you'll win. And you can even see that in our space, uh, Shri, where, as you know, there, there's a whole host of venture back businesses now that are, that are, they're not solving last mile. They're solving a, the, the time series. It's like, we can get that to you in, you know, that convenience order. We can get it to you in 15 minutes or less. And, and Europe is leading the way in many of these, cases where they're experimenting heavily with these retail formats that are time bound as opposed to distance bound. And certainly distance plays a role in sort of where you locate uh, and how quick, how many consumers you can reach and how quickly, but consumers think about it in terms of time. And the more you're focused on that consumer experience, the, the higher your probability is for success. So I think that's really worth it. Where, where a lot of the retail business will, will spend its time thinking about the future is based on that, that increment of time as opposed to distance. 
I love that explanation, Seth, because a mile in midtown Manhattan is very different than a mile in, in suburban Connecticut, right? And the time associated with it. So I think you really capture the issue. To me, it's not the distance. It is the amount of time. Um, so looking back, I think we spoke with Josh in episode 26. That was about a year ago. And since then, wow, hardly a week or even half a week goes by where I don't see a new partnership you've established on the retail side. You've done a couple rounds of fundraising. You have a new CEO and a new president. Uh, what I'd like to look is kind of the Gretzky approach of where the puck is going to a degree. I know I'd love to understand from a partnership perspective, you know, where are you starting to think about building your muscles, um, particularly in the technology space to improve uh, the CX and ultimately the, uh, the, the business that you're doing through the marketplace. marketplace. Okay. Um, so you're right. We have, uh, from a leadership perspective, as you mentioned, we, we do have a host of new executive leaders, including a new CEO, uh, who've come on board and they're, uh, you know, so we have Fiji Simo, uh, the CEO, uh, we have Carolyn Everson, uh, the new president. We have a, a chief operating officer in Asha, uh, Sharma, who is uh, all three of them are from Facebook. And so they bring a, uh, a, a different, uh, viewpoint to the business in terms of the uh, the consumer experience, and they they have a ton ton of experience from working at Facebook with uh, you know with addressing sort of consumer facing uh, issues and and capability, and they've been very successful there, and so super excited to be working with them on developing uh, more capability for our consumer facing. Uh, apps and as well as the the capability that we have uh, that we develop for our shoppers to make them more efficient when they're in the stores and picking orders for for our consumers. Um, so there's just a ton of work uh, that that we that we have to do there and, and lots more room to run. And um, uh, those execs will bring a, a fresh perspective in, and and that's pretty exciting. And then selfishly, I'm excited about it because. They all know advertising well and understand how to run uh, a successful advertising business and building tools that advertisers, large and small agencies, large and small can use to really develop their business. Um, what I've been most impressed with uh, as it relates to consumer experience and their viewpoints so far is that they are making sure that we're paying you know an equal amount of attention to the impact that a strong advertising offering for brands can have to the consumer experience. And so, you know, an advertising business that can be accretive to the consumer experience is, is really the sort of holy grail that we're looking for, where uh, consumers feel that the ads that they're seeing uh, help them, you know, conduct their, their shopping trip uh, more quickly or help them uh, conduct the trip in a way that saves some money or saves some time. So, uh, and then there's the idea of discovering new products and innovation. You know, many brands are focused on creating new products and challenged with getting them in front of consumers uh, in physical brick and mortar environments. And we're trying to find ways to help them do that digitally. Um, and I can I can talk a bit more about that later. But that that those new execs are bringing in that type of perspective, and it, and it's really exciting. Um, and then within my team as well, uh, within ads specifically, we're we've been scaling that. I can't share the absolute numbers, but the business from a headcount perspective has been growing very very rapidly. Um, you know, recently uh, brought over Ryan Mayward from Amazon, whom I worked with pretty closely uh, to to build the business. Uh, at, at Amazon, and um, and he brings a lot of expertise programmatically and and uh, about just retail media as well uh, to to my leadership team, which is really exciting. And then um, you know the the types of things that that will be uh, that we've been forced to sort of to work on as a result of of COVID, and sort of we revisit the conversation you have with Josh, and sort of what's changed from a a product perspective, um, we've heard a couple of things loud and clear from brands. So first off is that, hey, we have a certain service level expectation around 
like the capabilities that you offer. Um, and we can do these types of things with Walmart. We can do these types of things with Amazon. We can do these types of things with Kroger or Target or whomever. So we need to be able to have similar capability at Instacart. So we've been meeting the, 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 that expectation, trying to build to capability to, to, uh, to play at par with the rest of the industry. And then at the same time, we're looking for ways to differentiate and really push forward. And, and that's been, uh, really the domain of insights and the data signals that we're able to, uh, provide back to the advertisers that we work with that are maybe not directly causal to an, an advertising investment, but are adjacent to it. And they're metrics that are helpful for those brands to, to build their business online. And maybe, uh, for some of those, those brands have been, um, opaque or, not well understood or measured by, uh, imprecisely by a third party because, um, the online space is just, it's so new and, uh, and, and really sort of fractured in ways where they couldn't get a good signal before. So we've really been focusing and, and investing, uh, in my organization in that insights role and making sure that you know, we're building a business that's you know, leading with data and with insights that brands can actually use to improve the, you know, the amount of products that they're selling um, online. Seth, so you referred earlier to, you know, there's a new, a handful of folks new on the management team. And as a result, there are new muscles being built at Instacart. But I'd like to jump to the partnership side, especially fulfillment. Earlier, you referred to same day delivery, fast delivery, you know, what's going on on the fulfillment side and are the orders getting faster to the consumer as a result? Uh, yes. The, the short answer is yes. Like we are focused on uh, that, that time boundary and meeting consumer expectations. Uh, you know, we launched recently a, 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 an offering called Priority Delivery. And uh, this would be like the, the quick run to the grocery store. And, and bringing that sort of in-store express lane experience online for, for our uh, consumers. And, um, you know, this is really a, a learning that we've had from, uh, you know, working with our convenience store uh, retail partners and then also just understanding the trip occasion that the consumer has when she comes into to Instacart to shop. So, there's, there's always, uh, you know, there's the, the big stock up trip. And, and we see this in the baskets when we do the analysis and sort of tear down basket affinity. We can see like consumer comes in and buys this list of products or this, you know, this is what the basket includes. We can identify that pretty clearly. It's like, that's a stock up trip. And then we might see over here, it's like, okay, great. We've got, this is a white claw ice cream chips and, a, a smaller uh, value in terms of GMV, that might be a convenience type of trip. And so we want to hit the entire spectrum of tripications for consumers. And so we've really been focused. We, we do a really good job on the stock up trip and the larger baskets. We've been focusing on priority delivery because we've recognized that consumers are coming in and looking for that. Hey, can I get this in 30 minutes or less? Is there some way that I can get it faster? than I would even from an as quote unquote normal Instacart order and get it somehow prioritized and express. So yes, we are working on that as a fulfillment option tree as being, and we see that as being pretty important uh, this year as we, as we continue to welcome consumers into to Instacart uh, shopping for the first time. All right. So from my perspective, my next question is for brands that do want to partner with you, uh, how does the relationship and partnership work? You know, is it primarily content? I remember earlier this year, you making a big announcement that brands now had more control over the content on the site, whereas previously it was more driven by the retailer. Uh, I'd love to know, is it both content and advertising? And really, how does one start and how should a brand focus their attention on working with you? So it's a couple different ways and, and each brand will be different. So you know, we, we work with some very sophisticated large brands who, um, have years of, of experience working with other retail platforms where they hop right into the deep end. They're like, okay, here, everything I'm doing with these, 
these retailers, I want to then, I want to employ those same tactics over here. And so we, those things may include, uh, you know, working in an API, for instance, and with our feature products and having very sophisticated bid strategies where they're working on a, a whole, you know, hundreds or thousands of different search terms, for instance. And that might be a level of complexity that a large brand might have who's really sophisticated. Then um, we have, we've been working with a lot of small, medium-sized brands as well and trying to help those brands, whether they're regional or they're startup brands, understand how to win and get in the consumer's basket for the first time. And they maybe need more uh, counsel in terms of how to set up to be successful in our storefront. So we spend a lot of time working with them on here's a recommended set of keywords that you may want to buy so that when a consumer comes in and searches, you have the highest probability of making it in the basket. And then here are, here's some basket affinity information that may not be intuitive to you that you haven't seen before that would suggest that people who are buying your, or your product uh, is in 80% of those baskets that um, are, include paper towels, for instance. It might be in a different category. And that's the type of data-led learning that helps us uh, become a, a more important part, an integrated part of their marketing strategy. So it's really across the spectrum. Um, but at the core is, is really insights that from, from the, the actual shopping behaviors that we observe in first party. So we're not making these things up. These aren't uh, inferences that we're drawing. Like these are uh, explicit events that we've observed in a first party way that give us some confidence to say, hey, look, we see these things and these things impact your brand. We recommend that you take this action to get even better results. Thank you for that, set. So I will ask the last question for today, which is, existing partnerships. So Instacart has obviously been here decade plus. And so many brands over the course of that decade have started partnering with Instacart and so have retailers. For those existing partnerships, if they desire to actually scale the relationship with you, can they expect more data, bundled offerings? Can they help drive a basket? Like what can they expect back in return? The short answer there is yes. With more as we work more closely with the brands, we will uh, put more emphasis and resources on our side against the insights and data that really matter. And you know, there are some uh, things that that uh, we know that brands really want that are uh, going to take us uh, that take us more effort to bring forward in ways that they can then actually use, but. Um, you know, we're willing to do that work in terms of resourcing against those uh, requests, um, provided that we get some investment back in the uh, in in advertising and, and merchandising those products through our storefronts. So, you know that we we see a lot of um, uh, larger brands come forward with uh, multiple like multiple functions from their organization into our meetings. So we, it is rare that we're ever showing up with just a standard, like, Hey, here's how your campaign performed. And, you know, we're talking with the brand team or we're talking with, um, you know, the e-com team within that company. There's usually a shopper marketing person there. There's usually a commercial officer there and they have their own learning agendas. And so the, the more closely we can work to understand what those agendas or those sort of curriculum are, then we can say, look, it, give us 90 days and we're going to measure these things and we'll be able to come back to you and say, hey, look, here's here's what we've seen. Here's a course of action that we would suggest. Or what do you think of this data? How does that match up with what you might see in brick and mortar, for instance? And to me, that's a really powerful place to, to build on an existing relationship. You know, there's a lot of trial and sort of test and learn that, that many of these, uh, new, like you guys know this, new platforms sort of uh, drive that behavior and, and trial and testing and learning is important. But as Instacart has become uh, a, a larger sort of consumer uh, business and our, our sales have taken off, um, 
we, we're kind of moved past test and learn, and we're really in the, uh, like, hey, if we're, if we're going to invest this much and we're going to move down this partnership path with you, then we want to make sure that we're, you know, we're getting uh, some of our data question answered or we're getting access to technology that you may be developing that helps our enterprise get smarter about the business. We're happy to, I mean, those are the most exciting uh, relationships that we have, Shri, and, um, and like we'll continue to do that in the future. Thank you so much for that, Seth. So how about that, Peter? We decomposed the 303 of a partnership with Instacart. Of course, Josh came here close to a year ago on the 101 and the 102. So what do you think, Peter? Uh, I, you know, when you told me Seth was going to join us, I, you, you may remember I asked if we could do an eight-part series. And you said you would scare, we would scare him off. But um, this was phenomenal. So much great detail. Anyone who wants to understand how to work with Instacart, like top of mind to me is our good friend, Kiri Masters. She was probably just sibling or scribbling notes for her, her next book. But in any event, this was really phenomenal, Sheree. Phenomenal. Yeah, and Seth, of course, you are welcome to come back anytime you want so that we can indeed have a part yeah. two and sounds like Peter wants to do an eight-part series, so you are welcome to come back for an eight-part series. But for you know, I'm a you know I'm a big fan. That's pretty if clear. Anyone watching the video? Can that's see. pretty clear yeah. for yeah. the uh, for all audience. Of course, you can find all our content as always on CPGGuys.com. We would love for you to tell us how we're doing. You shape this podcast. You tell us which guests, what you'd like to have on the show. The easiest way to do that is by going to ratethispodcast.com slash cpgguys, leave us a review, tell us what you're thinking. And if you're not already part of this growing family that has helped transforming this industry, you can do that by going to linkedin.com, simply type cpgguys, hit the plus blue plus button or the follow button and participate in the dialogue. Seth, we are honored and thankful that you chose to come on the show and give us your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Really appreciate it. Mr. Bond, the uh, man with the golden voice, the Dodgers will remain a softball team. Thank you for joining me week over week on this show. I am glad that you agree the Yankees are a triple-A ball club. That's great, Sheree. And with the news that the Dodgers are indeed moving to triple-A to join the Yankees, I will close out this episode and we will be back soon with another episode of the CPG Guys. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.